Shabbat Shalom. Everybody have an okay week? Mm. Some did, some didn't. Some did, and that's why you're here. Some didn't, and that's why you're here. So I brought my pot. <clears throat> you thought it was going to be something else? <laughs> So as you've heard over and over again tonight, we're telling a family story. It's a family story we've been telling for the last 3,000 years, and we tell it in this special book called the Haggadah at Seders all over the world. And there's a lot of fours. Every year we come to four different cups of wine and the four children and the four questions, and no matter where you're from, Everybody knows these four. So before I begin tonight, I'm going to ask you to turn to somebody next to you, hopefully somebody you don't yet know, and you're going to ask them and answer four questions. So turn to somebody, and you're going to ask them, the first question is, where were you born? Go ahead, try that one. Where were you born? Just tell them where you were born. Okay, shh, shh. That was like a one-word answer. <laughs> Jews. <laughs> Next question, somebody else, turn to somebody else and ask them and answer this question. Where were your parents born? Go for it. Okay, shh. I know the farther back we go, the longer the answers are going to get. Okay? Now, this time I'm going to ask you just pick one of these and answer the question Where are your grandparents from? Where were they born? So, answer that one. Where are your grandparents from? Grandparents were all born in the United States? Yeah, they're all any, eight, eight, any great grandparents born in the United States? No, no, no. Any of yours? You? Fourth generation. American. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, this is like the easiest sermon I've ever given. <laughs> Just keep asking you guys questions and we could go all night. The last question um, is a question that I want you to answer yourself. So I asked you where you were born, where your parents are born, where your grandparents are born. And now I'm going to ask you to answer just for a moment in your own self, now that you've kind of said these things, um, and I think I'll tell you why I think this is very important in a moment, but answer in your own self, not where you are born, but just answer for yourself. Think about where you're from. Where are you from? which is a very different question, I think, than where you're born. So how many people here um, have ancestors from Russia? Raise your hands, okay. Um, turn around and look at that, it's Russia. Okay, how many people here um, have some ancestors from Poland? Yep, mm -hmm. You know, the borders just moved all the time, so Polish, Russian, okay. Same people. How about people who have German ancestry, okay? Austrian? Um, how, about, how about Spartac Jews? Syrian? Oh, we got like a few. <laughs> Turkish? Okay. Any countries I missed? Romania? Romania? England? Spain? Spanish Jews? French Jews? Uh huh. Czechoslovakian Jews? Mm hmm. Uzbekistan, mm-hmm. How about the bad Jews, anybody? Bad Jews? Okay, bad and good Jews. So I think it's an important question because originally we all supposedly came from one place, um, the land of Israel, and we met and we recognized each other from another moment. What was that moment? It's on a mountain. Mount Sinai. So if you come all the way back to the beginning and you don't know if you know somebody from Austria or Romania or Camp Swig, it's usually, if it's not Jewish summer camp, it's usually that you recognize people from Mount Sinai. And I think it's very, very interesting to think about our ancestors at a time when you're either going home for Passover or you're not going home intentionally or you wish you were going home or you wish you weren't going home and you are going home. Um, because that's what we're all about, is our story of our past of the last 3,000 years and then the family stories that we keep asking about and answering. And, um, I like to think about um, the stories that are found and lost. There's a great story about um, a girl who is making brisket with her mother for, for Passover, and her mother takes the big brisket out, and she cuts one end off, and she cuts the other end off, and she puts it in the pot, and then she puts it in the oven, and the daughter says to the mother, that seems so weird. Every year you cut off both ends of the brisket, and you put it in. What is with that recipe? And she said, I don't, I don't know. Booby always did it. Call Booby in Detroit. And so the granddaughter calls the Booby and says, Booby, can you tell me what the tradition is of cutting the end of the brisket off on each end and then putting it in? What's the recipe from? She's like, the recipe? We had a very small oven. <clears throat> So sometimes that's where stories come from. Passover is also, as Rabbi Rodish said, is a time when we're supposed to relive what it was like for our ancestors and how can this year we not experience what other people are experiencing when we see every single moment people who are refugees. When we think about what has happened to the community in Syria and all over this world, 60 million people are refugees today. And I think about our own ancestors and how uncertain their lives were as refugees. And they could not, our ancestors could not imagine our lives today, if you think about it. 
And I imagine that in the last 20, 30 years, the people who are now refugees in this world, they had no idea they were going to be refugees. They might have been as comfortable as we are today. My great-grandfather came from Bielostok, Poland, and he sold rags in Chicago um, to begin his life here. And I don't think he could fathom that last weekend I went to Phil's Coffee and I spent $30 on three large pour-overs and a pound of coffee. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe it, and I live here. It's like the new, the new normal. I mean, but I'm so old that I can remember when I thought like all hell had broken loose when coffee was 50 cents a cup. We got it so expensive. That was also like the same price of gas when I was growing up. So it was a long time ago. Um, and I'm not saying it's just like a, a cultural thing here because I saw somebody post on Facebook um, a shout out. If anybody would split three ways a gluten-free box of shmura matzah from Israel because it was $30. I was like, well, $30 used to buy a lot. Now it, it's 10 pieces of matzah, shmura matzah that's gluten-free. Do you think they had gluten-free matzah in the desert? No, I don't think so either. The, the, beauti <laughs> the beautiful thing about, about our history and looking back on our lives and the lives of our ancestors is that it's all in us still. And there's a beautiful line in the Torah about growing older and actually about death. It's the one portion in the entire Torah that's named after a woman. You know what it is? Thank you. Cantor's like, I know. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else who didn't go to cantorial or rabbinical school know there's one Torah portion named after a woman. Very close. It wasn't Ruth. Somebody older. We say her name in the, in the Amidah. Sarah, right. Her name, her name, Sarah. And it's called Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah and in the first line, she dies. It's like, what a ripoff. A woman gets, you know, Torah portion, and then she dies. But this is what it says so beautifully. It says, the life of Sarah came to 100 years and 20 years and seven years, and then she died. It didn't say that she lived to be 127 years, and I always think that is one of the most beautiful lines in the Torah because it teaches us that were all of the things that precede us as we get older. So when Sarah was 127, she had the wisdom of the 100-year-old, and she had the beauty of the 20-year-old, and she had the intense curiosity of the 7-year-old. And I think that's what Pesach is about, is going back into the lives of our ancestors, so back into our own life, and kind of picking up the pieces of our, our own childhood. Right now, I feel very much like I am um, the 15-year-old, because I'm my... My kids at home are 14 and 15. I'm living with a 14 and 15-year-old um, boys. Do you guys remember being 14, 15, 16 years old? I just remember like pleading with my parents. They're like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, nothing's wrong with me. Everything's wrong with you. And that was my attitude. Also, they couldn't understand that not everything that I was going through, like, it, like, nothing of it had to do with them, and they couldn't change any of it. So now when my kids say to me, like, this has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with you, like, you can't do anything about it. It has nothing to do with you. I'm thinking, how is that possible? Like, it has everything to do with me. I'm your mother. But that's the funny part. The serious part is it's, it's true. Like, literally, my teenagers are completely separating. You remember when you started seeing your parents as separate people from you? They weren't just your parents anymore. Well, that's what's happening to me, is like, they are separating. And it's a, it's a very bittersweet time, and it brings me back to being 14, 15, and 16 years old. Um, and there's a, actually a beautiful section in Larry Kushner's book called Homecoming. 
I want to read it to you. It's called Homecoming, and it's in his book, The Invisible Lines of Connection. Lawrence Kushner is our Emanuel scholar. He's an incredible teacher. And this is what he says about homecoming. <clears throat> we spend our lives trying to get far away from our parents and to keep our children close. But since everyone is both a child and a parent of the next generation, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that we have a problem here. Lots of parents wanting to keep their kids close, lots of kids trying to get away, lots of kids wishing they could go home but not being able to stand it when they get there, lots of parents eager for their kids to go back to school but not being able to stand it once they're gone. It's crazy. Like dogs, they love to jump into the car, and as soon as they're in the car, they love to jump out of the car. Comedian Gary Shandling, of blessed memory, says he just leaves both car doors open. They jump in, they jump out, it can go on for hours. <laughs> and Kushner teaches this, he says, we have it much worse. We do it with our parents for our whole lives. So when Pesach comes around, I think a lot about that section of homecoming because we all so clearly remember what it was like if we had a family Passover if you grew up Jewish or if you had Jewish friends, and you remember what it was like, your, maybe your first Passover, you remember as you were growing older, and now we're all, a lot of us are somewhere else, and we're trying to make home. So when I stand here in front of you and I look at you, I'm not just the 15-year-old, I'm also the 26-year-old or the 34-year-old. I'm the pictures that you guys all put on social media and Instagram and Facebook, and I'm your Tinder swipes, and I'm also the Uber rides, and, and those parts of your life, but I'm also the parts of your life when you come into my study and you share your heartbreak with me, or you share that your mom or your dad just got very sick and you're not sure what to do because they're far away. Passover is a time that beckons us to come home to ourselves or physically to go home. And it also asks us to struggle about not going home or what does it mean to make your own home here far away from the place that you're known and that you know. And it's also a time to affirm that we're all children. We're all the children that preceded us inside of ourselves, but we're also the wise child, the wicked child, the simple child, and the child who doesn't know who to ask. I always thought those were four separate children, but once you have children, you realize it's all in one. So my very first uh, memory of Passover is that pot. It's my great-grandmother Lottie's gefilte fish pot. And as a two or three-year-old, you can imagine how huge that pot was. It was like the biggest pot in the world. So my great-grandma Lottie used to um, actually have fish in the bathtub. That's how long ago it was. Carp and whitefish and pike. And before she died, she gave that pot to my grandmother. My grandmother, she actually went to the fishmonger and got fish that didn't end up in our bathtub. But then when she was done, she got older, she gave the pot to um, my mother. And everybody in my family has always used my great Grandma Lottie's recipe. And uh, I can distinctly remember all the women in the family standing around and hoping that the gefilte fish balls would pop up to the top because you didn't want them to be sinkers. You know, that's a whole matzo ball thing. Like some people are sinkers and some are floaters for matzo balls at Passover. Gefilte fish, it's supposed to be, they're all supposed to be floaters. So a few years ago when I picked up my mom from the airport, she pulled off her suitcase and she came out with this tremendous box. And I said to her, Mom, what's, the, what's with the box? What do you have in there? And she said, it's your gefilte fish pot. And there was that moment of separation again, but it wasn't the separation of parent and child. It was like, oh, my mom's not going to be here forever, 
And I was never going to ask her for that pot because it would mean that I was telling her it was time for her to move on. But that's the job of parents. Parents have to be the ones who let go and say, now it's your gefilte fish pot, and you are not allowed to buy anything out of a jar. You have to make it yourself. <laughs> I was like, this is San Francisco, Mom. We have $30 for coffee. Um, so my Pesach story is that pot. And everybody has some Passover story, whether you're Jewish or not, because Passover is supposed to be the time when everybody who's hungry comes and eats, and you have the mitzvah, the commandment, of going and inviting strangers in. And so I'm going to ask you tonight during the Oneg to share whatever you have about Passover in your life, and it could be about your own personal freedom or something having to do with the Jews or have, having to do with where you come from. And I want you to go downstairs tonight, and I want to... Um, I want to make sure that everybody here has a place for Seder. And so if you don't have a place for Seder, I'm going to ask you to all ask one another, do you have a place for Seder? And figure out where you're going to be for Seder. And if you don't have a place for the second night, we are having a Passover Seder here. It's kind of the motif of Seder in the desert. Cantor Addy, Rabbi Rodich. Is Eric going to be with us? Eric. We're going to be wearing our desert finery. Um, I thought it like a kind of Middle Eastern. Rabbi Rodish thought it was Palm Beach, Palm Springs, Palm Springs, sorry, Palm Springs. So it's like anything, Haight-Ashbury, Palm Springs, the desert. But we really want you to have a place for a Seder. Whether, if you're going home, that's fine. I don't want you to feel guilty that you're leaving us for Passover, if you're going to be with your families. But if you're not, we really want you to be here with us. And it's, it's coming up. Anybody know when the Seder is? Yeah, it's like, it's next weekend. So sign up and join us. And the last... Oh yeah, two weeks, sorry, two weeks. I was, I was rushing us. It's two weeks, but we only have room for 100 people. Mm -hmm. How many people do you think you might come to our Seder? Second night, Saturday night. Okay. Yeah. Give me the mic over. Um, so if you are coming to our Seder, we also have this uh, beautiful Iraqi Jewish artist coming from Los Angeles who does Hebrew, Hebrew um, body markings. So wear sleeveless or you could just have your face done, but he's going to be doing some tribal Hebrew body painting, um, Amir Magal, if you know who he is. Anyway, so and he'll come at 6 o'clock, a half hour before our Seder starts, to begin the body painting. Thanks, Cantor. So the last thing is... The commandment in the Haggadah says, say ulamad, which means go out and learn. So let this also be a Passover season where you go out and you learn something. Maybe it's how to make gefilte fish.